From New Orleans, Louisiana, it's Empirical's PowerTech Podcast. This is the place where we talk about bringing technology to the power industry. Our goal is to educate you on the most popular trends, bring you actionable strategies from industry thought leaders, and help you make sure your utility is prepared for the future. I'm your host, Matthew Sachs, president of Empirical, former utility engineer and power industry advocate. Power quality is one of the most challenging and exciting parts of the modern electric utility practice, but also one of the most misunderstood. Often quality and reliability are confused as being the same characteristic of a particular system. Today, we will be discussing how power quality is defined from a standards perspective and the implications of grid modernization on the quality of the power system. Theo Lafner started PowerGrid RX Incorporated in January 2018 after a 21-year career at the Tennessee Valley Authority. During his time at TVA, Theo was responsible for setting the direction of the power quality program there and served as a focal point for resolving power quality issues throughout TVA's system. He focused on integrating data from over 1,700 power quality monitors, digital fault recorders, revenue meters, and microprocessor relays into an enterprise database system. His accomplishments at TVA garnered him the prestigious National Society of Professional Engineers Top 10 of All Federal Engineers in 2017. PowerGrid RX has been helping utilities and their stakeholders maximize investment in data for the contemporary grid. Theo is a senior member of IEEE, where he chairs a variety of working groups in cybersecurity and power quality. He also serves as the U.S. National Committee Representative to CGRADE for System Technical Performance. He's a professional engineer in the state of Tennessee and holds certifications as a Force Scout Certified System Engineer and Ham Radio Operator. Theo, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Matt. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, for most people, their power, I think, is one of two things. It's either on or it's off. Most <laughs> homes and businesses don't even have a way to measure the quality of the power serving their location. So what would be a good working definition of power quality and why does it matter? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So I like to relate it back to going to my doctor. So when I go to my doctor, he doesn't tell me if I'm alive or dead. Usually, you know, and hopefully if I'm going to the doctor, I'm alive, right? So when I go to the doctor, though, you know, he generally takes my blood and maybe some other samples and says, you know what, your cholesterol's, in my case, my cholesterol's too high or your triglycerides are too low or whatever. And so they go through and look at not just whether I'm alive or dead, but how healthy I am. And power quality is sort of a similar analog in the, uh, in the industry, in the utility industry. So where reliability you mentioned is very much, am I alive or dead? Are the lights on or are they off? Power quality talks to more, how good is it? You know, what we're making, if we think about this as a manufacturing process is, you know, um, a sine wave. We're making almost 5.7 billion of those a year. And they're supposed to be 60 hertz. They have a certain size, a certain width, a certain shape. And power quality really speaks to whether or not all of those characteristics of that 60 hertz uh, sine wave are right or not. So that's what power quality is in a nutshell. To your second question about why does it matter? Well, you said it just right uh, in your introduction. The grid is changing. We've gone from, and, and this is why I, I think it's so important right now, probably is more important at any time in our history. Um, it, you mentioned the uh, distribution uh, or the uh, distributed resources. So think about this for a minute. Originally, utilities made the power, 
supplied the power, and customers just used the power. Well, think about the transformative nature of our industry today. What's happening? And it's not really a rhetorical question. You kind of answered it in the intro, right? So, you know, so what's happening? We've right. Got- that, that's interesting to, to look at it instead of, okay, the quality, because it's all a one-way street. Now that we do have all these distributed resources, uh, how much more heightened is it to think about uh, the accuracy of, say, that 60 hertz wave that's not nearly as close to 60 as, as typical infinite bus utility distributed power is, right? Well, that's right. And, and not only that, but the utilities make it, was making all the power. You know, now customers are making power. Independents are making power. Everybody's making power. And at the end of the day, what happens is my lights flicker. Who's responsible for that? You know, is it me? Is it because of my own internal generation? Is it my next door neighbor because of their rooftop solar unit? Is it, uh, is it the utility? And so this way, this method of countering, you know, how many times the lights went off really kind of falls apart in this world, right? We need more nuanced. Where is this issue coming from? What's the source of the issue? How do we mitigate the issue? So I think that's why it matters more now than anything is because the grid is becoming more complicated. And so we need more complicated and nuanced ways of measuring the grid. Certainly you can see with homeowners and even businesses with far less capital budgets than your average utility, uh, not having those resources for their generation, for their equipment, for their measuring devices, or just their, their sheer understanding of the electrical system. So what then, if we're not just talking about lights on or off or even flickering, what are the effects of poor power quality within a system? How, how do they tend to show up? So there's a number of ways, you know, one is uh, in, mo- in the most severe and probably uh, concerning ways, things like safety. Uh, if you have voltage going where it shouldn't, you have stray voltage that can result in, um, in shock or electrocution, uh, which is death by shock, which is a bad way to go. Um, it, that's probably the most severe and extreme in, uh, in less severe and extreme. Uh, you can have industrial plants with equ- equipment shutting off. You can have meter reading problems. You could have accelerated aging of assets, brownouts, blackouts, um, even uh, generation plant equipment and, and tip- traditional utility plant equipment uh, misoperating or even shutting down. So it's um, really significant issue. And those are all just for the utility because as I said before, well, you know, who who's making the power? Historically, it was just the utility. And so... If, if somebody had a problem, they went to the utility and said, hey, fix my power problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. But how do they do that now? Because uh, the utility is still responsible. I think there's a second part of this too, which is uh, regarding power quality and the effects of it. And that is that the, the utility industry is fairly uh, mature at this point, right? You know, it's been around since the ni- early 1900s. And, um, and, they've done it very reliably and very capably. When I was a TVA, we often bragged about five nines of reliability, which translates to less than five minutes of downtime per year. And uh, it's like watching a baseball game. You know, you, you see these guys playing baseball and you think, wow, they just make it look so easy. And then you go out and you try to swing a bat and, uh, you know, you clobber the guy that's the catcher, you know, <laughs> with the bat. Uh, 
<laughs> it's just a, it's, it's a, we've, so in, in some ways the utility industry is a victim of its own success. We made it look easy. So everybody wants to try it. And, um, and so people with maybe the investment capability to do it, but without the technical know-how are getting involved in things that are really quite complicated. I, I like how you put that. I, I think we, we've grown up, those of us that have worked our careers in the industry, you know, knowing about that reliability and the five nines and uh, how everybody just has an expectation that the power is always going to be on and it's there. And yet with today, with more things at hand in terms of the digital revolution or big data or synchrophases or any of the advancements that seem to be coming more rapidly, it's almost like you're making the argument that reliability could actually start going backwards because now that control has been taken out of one entity's hands and dispersed somewhat throughout their system because other people are now responsible for parts of the generation and, and to some extent, even the distribution of that. So having said all that, how do we control that? What's, what's up for the utilities now kind of in this new paradigm where they find themselves with distributed elements on the system and everything changing and maybe not being as vertically integrated as they were, how do they control some of these power quality issues? Well, I think they've taken many utilities are trying to take a very layered approach. Um, And, you know, one of the common or one of the most contemporary or one of the most uh, typical ways you think of power quality is in the way that I think IEEE sort of defines power quality is the fitness of electrical power to the use of electrical power. So in other words, is it good enough? Uh, It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough so that my equipment does operate properly. And so, um, historically, the biggest disruption of power generally came from large industrial loads that uh, take a steel mill, for example. They use a lot of arc furnace loads. And those arc furnace loads are very, very noisy. You know, they make a lot of harmonics. They make flicker. They make voltage sags. They make all sorts of things. And so, what many of the utilities have done to try to be proactive is engage the standards community to say, what is an acceptable level of noise that can be injected back into the system at our point of common coupling. In other words, where the utility and the industry meet, uh, and um, which may be the meter point or somewhere else. But the idea is that if we limit the source of these phenomenon at, you know, at their source, then we just have to worry about them propagating them or not propagating them as the case may be. But there's a second issue in my mind, which uh, regarding this distributed resource thing, that complicates matters. And that is uh, when you look at where large industries historically located, many of them located right next to large generation. Makes sense, right? I have a big power need. I'm going to set right next door to a big power plant. And that way I don't have to go as far to get my power. Well, think about what's happened in the last few years. What have we started doing to all the coal generation? you know, we've, we've started retiring it. But so what is the consequence of that? These industries aren't necessarily shutting down. So now we have to bring power from further away. And uh, in the area of the Southeast where I live, there's a large quantity of lightning that happens per year. And so, uh, you know, let's say that you have, uh, uh, and I'm making numbers up here, but let's say there's one lightning stroke per mile of, of transmission line per year. Well, if you're getting your power from one mile away, that means you're exposed to one lightning strike per year. If you're getting your power from 50 miles away, now you're suddenly exposed to 50 lightning strikes per year. And even if the power doesn't go out, 
it may sag enough, which would be what a lot of people would call a brownout, but the voltage may go low enough that these particularly heavily um, industrialized companies, you know, where they've used a lot of robotic control or whatever, they're very sensitive to voltage sags and these disturbances. And so what happens is they shut down. Um, even though they never lost power. And so what's interesting is when you say the kind of the, the uh, relationship between reliability and quality to the customer who may not be as, um, who wouldn't say I'm having a power quality issue, they might say I'm having a reliability issue. And so the customer service folks from the utility would go engage the reliability people who'd say, we didn't, we didn't have an event here. The, the breakers never operated. There was no opening. There was never an outage there. Um, yet the customer saw lights blinking and their processes trip offline. And so to them, it was an outage, even though, you know, dictionary definitions, it's not an outage. It was a sag or whatever. Um, and so even it, it's interesting to me how many of the folks within our utilities don't necessarily understand those differences between reliability, just saying what's out versus, oh, you know, you mean if the voltage sags below 70% of what's normal for, let's say, a half a second or, or more, that that could cause a problem with the uh, equipment. Yes, it could. So the industry has done a few things in terms of control. IEEE put together a standard called IEEE 1668, which is a standard that says, hey, if you're going to put a piece of industrial equipment on a power system, here's how you should design it to be robust enough to withstand these sorts of voltage sags for some period of time. And, and that way, as the plants getting, are getting built, they're building robustness into their system because there are certain things the utility just simply cannot control. I mean, lightning strikes, like I mentioned before. So they can be controlled one way by that. The second way that it can be controlled is by if you know you have a disturbing load, having standards at your utility that say, hey, look, if you're a disturbing load, we're going to limit how much noise that you can introduce to the system. That is to say, if you have a, a load that causes flicker or harmonics or whatever, that you need to install mitigating equipment to suppress those phenomenon from getting onto the grid in the first place. And then there's a third thing, which is really fa fascinating to me, and that is uh, the whole harmonic space is really changing because all of these power electronic sources are um, uh, basically turning AC to DC or DC into AC. That's a very noisy process, and it's introducing harmonics at higher frequencies than we've ever seen on the grid before. So traditionally, you would see harmonics in the you know, 180 hertz, uh, uh, you know, third, fifth, seventh harmonic sort of thing. And we're now seeing harmonics as high as 3,000 hertz on the power system. And, and I like to think of power quality in terms of uh, domain expertise as sort of uh, the study of unintended consequences on the grid. <laughs> so, so let's plug it in, see what happens. And then when the wall, wheels fall off, let's call in the power quality guys to kind of, you know, do the postmortem. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, 
so because of these higher order harmonics, there are things that we're seeing that many utilities across the United States and across the world are experiencing. They never expected to see. Uh, we had a, a situation where we actually uh, blew up some substation of equipment because we had told the customer in our case to, to uh, put some equipment on that we knew was going to be uh, injecting some higher order harmonics onto the system. And it turned out that we, when we document, when we, when we told them to do that, we baked in certain assumptions into our engineering models and planning and operations models that we didn't necessarily document. Um, and, and so one of our lessons learned was you really need to understand the assumptions under which you design the system to operate under, because as those, as the operating conditions change, guess what? You need to reevaluate your models to make sure that your assumptions still hold for your new operating case. So there's a lot of different uh, aspects to this. It's really fascinating. And, and I think that's a great story explaining, for example, the steel plant located right next to large scale generation that nowadays might be shut down. And you think about how many years ago that capital was expended and the planning that went into that site, that location, maybe it's good for water or rail access as well. And if now their transmission, instead of being so many hundreds of yards, is now, you know, tens of miles, their exposure has gone up, even though the, the system reliability overall might might not be changing. That, that's a, a fascinating way to look at that. And, and a nice segue too, uh, you know, in cyber engineering recently, we hear that the best way to build resilience from a cyber perspective into a system is to kind of bake it in. In other words, to yep. design the systems initially that have that cyber criteria as, as part of the effort. Are there similar ways to bake power quality into the routine designs for the grid? Absolutely. So again, I, you know, I reference the standards where I say, hey, mm -hmm. you know, if you're Mr. Customer, we're going to limit the amount of noise that you can put back on the system. And then that kind of protects everybody. And it also sort of um, limits the cost that an ex existing utility would have to bear or how much pain that they're willing to endure. Um, so I think standards is a good way to do it. I think as plants go in, as new plants come into the, to the U S new manufacturing comes in, I think things they need to think about are what is the electrical environment, not purely in terms of how many outages per year, but how many voltage sags per per month or per year do, do they, will they be routinely exposed to and sort of what's the electrical environment so that they can build resiliency into the tools. The semiconductor industry did this uh, probably about uh, 20, maybe 30 years ago now. They recognized that if they had an unplanned voltage excursion of some kind, that they could lose large quantities of wafers. Um, and so they put out a standard at the time that said, hey, if, if you're going to be a tool in our plant, then you need to be able to ride through these sort of events. And that's exactly what sort of the ground of the foundation on which 1668 was built. The idea that, hey, as good as any reliable or, you know, any organization is, there are still going to be events beyond our control, beyond the utilities control that would, uh, you know, cause a problem potentially for the, the equipment. I think the other thing that we need to make sure about is, and, and this is one of those things where reliability and quality sometimes are at odds with one another. Uh, we, we had a situation where 
we went to a customer and said, hey, here's what we'd like to do to improve your reliability. We'd like to bring in another feed to your plant. And that way, if either feed is out, you'll have improved reliability. Now, that's a 100% true statement. You'll have improved reliability. But the effect of connecting another line into your bus adds all that exposure of that line into you know, your plant. And so if you're a voltage-sensitive plant, you may get z- improved reliability, but the outcome may be that your plant processes are still negatively impacted, uh, which is really you know, a fascinating challenge. How do we keep this balance between reliability and quality? What are the things that we can do to keep those things sort of in check such that we're not really improving one while really detracting from the other. Because again, at the end of the day, the customer may not know, well, you know, the, the nuance between an outage or an interruption and a voltage sag is really pretty academic to most, you know, most customers, you know, all they notice is the effects. My process shut down, my TV went off, my lights flickered. And so, um, I think, you know, again, standards are key. I like standards because I feel like they're a democratized way of saying where the right limit is for society as a whole. Baking robustness into a product is not a free thing. Making the system more resilient is also not a free thing. So we need to have a very thoughtful and balanced approach to where we make that investment as a society in order to benefit society as a whole. And I really feel like standards do their best to democratize what those numbers are. You know, if, um, if I try to improve the power system, that's a millions of dollars sort of problem. If I try to improve an individual device in my house, well, that may be a $5 problem at my house. But if you multiply that by the number of households, that may be a multi-million or billion dollar or trillion dollar problem kind of distributed uh, solutions in addition to the distributed resources, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it is cheaper to do things at lower voltage for sure. But again, where the inflection point is depends on how many of those small voltage things are out there. Right. Well, in your opinion, what are the ways that an existing system can be improved in, in terms of power quality? Certainly new assets can benefit from the latest design and have the power quality baked in, but is it feasible to produce some similar efforts with existing systems that inherently are comprised of assets that were installed over years, if not even decades? Yeah, I think there are a couple of really key approaches. You know, one of the things that we've noticed is that um, wiring and grounding is often uh, a huge contributor to poor power quality. Um, issues. So, you know, always checking the, you know, kind of back to basics. Is it plugged in? Is it turned on? Are the connections good? You know, that that sort of thing often helps. Um, insulation breaks down over time and so forth. Um, but really, at the end of the day, there's about six, seven things that we can do. We can, we can look at reducing the effects on sensitive equipment. So that means we identify the sensitive equipment and we make it less sensitive or we, we put things in the power system like, um, and, and data centers have done this for a long time. Hey, we know data centers are sensitive. You know what we're going to do? We're going to put a UPS on the front end of every one of those data centers. And so um, that essentially creates a, uh, a more robust environment to reduce the effects on, on the data centers. 
uh, for example, and you can reduce or eliminate the cost. So I mentioned the steel mills before, you know, and, and I'm, uh, I'm not throwing off on steel mills. It's a ne necessarily noisy process. Okay. So, uh, but what we can do is put things like SVCs on the front end or statcoms on the front end of the, of those or at the point of common coupling between the end, the steel mill and, and the utility and say, Hey, um, the, this will prevent, uh, act as a buffer, if you will, between the noise you're creating and our system. We can uh, do things to improve uh, the medium. Uh, so, for example, if uh, an un, a non-trivial number of times has to do with, you know, we're trying to overload things that just can't handle the this additional stress. So, one of the things that's often very not well understood is oh I have a 20 MVA transformer and I'm running it at 30 MVA and I don't understand why every time I power up that new five horsepower motor my my the lights in all of my plants sag. Well you you've got an overloaded transformer. <laughs> you know you're trying to get blood from a turnip. You know? <laughs> uh, you know so right size the solutions to the problem and and that can you know do a lot. In some cases, people say, well, you know, I'm just having this problem. So when I'm trying to start up a large motor, well, let's put in a cap bank or something like that. But again, that's not without risk and peril that, that creates maintenance. It creates all sorts of challenges, but sometimes they're necessary. You're going to weigh that. Power conditioning equipment, you know, again, um, very few people plug a TV directly into the wall these days. You know, they will plug in a, a surge suppressor or something like that. Uh, in order to, and then plug the TV into the surge suppressor with an eye toward, Hey, if there is some problem on the power system that it's not going to, you know, blow up my expensive television, for example. This has been a really fun chance to, to hear the newness of the power quality issue, but uh, it's even been challenged further now in an extremely recent change as the distributed resources out there have, have kind of multiplied yeah. across a lot of systems and, you know, even 20, 30 years ago when this was really starting to become much more active and the struggle between maybe utility and, and some of its clients and, and how do we settle it, whose side of the meter is it on now? And some of that's just kind of academic now because now it's everywhere. Um, it's kind of become a new problem all over again, I think, to a lot of us not involved on a day-to-day -day basis with it. And I think you've done a really nice job of laying out some of the challenges out there, but also some of the, like you said, the back-to-basics. Uh, be it from a standards approach uh, that's always going to be out there and refined every year or the the simpler things of wiring and grounding and and tools we have in our arsenal um, from from surge suppressors all the way up to SVCs and statcoms that can help either mitigate or reduce some of these effects. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, you know, the power industry was sort of uh, like not of, of minimal interest to young engineers and so forth. And I think one of the the neat things because of the complexities and because of the need for understanding the system better, monitoring and, and all of that data has become critical and data analytics and so forth. And so the neat thing to me is that we're seeing a, a, a lot of a, an uptick in interest from young engineers to get into the power industry, unlike we've seen in, in, in recent history. And, and that's really encouraging to me because there's so much work to be done and we need fresh and inspiring minds to come out and, and uh, engage this industry. Oh, I couldn't agree more. For a hundred-year-old industry, I think it's got some new things out there on cutting edge that are, that are uh, just brilliant and should attract them. 
Theo, thank you so, so much for your time today. Really enjoyed this. Yeah, great. Well, it was my pleasure to be here and thanks again for the opportunity and, and um, uh, really enjoyed it and hope, hope it's uh, meaningful to your listeners. We had the benefit today of hearing from an expert in power quality. And while that issue has been around the last few decades, it now deserves a heightened focus because of an ever-changing electrical grid. Two big challenges in this realm are an emphasis on renewable sources, which could alter the exposure risk of an industrial customer that is no longer supplied by a nearby generation plant, and distributed resources that have introduced a variety of entities, including homeowners with solar, into the generation mix, all at varying degrees of power quality. Even solutions that adequately address other system issues can have power quality consequences, such as the harmonics introduced by the increasing number of AC to DC conversions within a system. Fortunately, today's utility engineer can still rely on updated standards to keep new loads sufficiently robust. Other protections can range from surge suppressors to uninterruptible power supplies to static VAR compensators. Simply ensuring the right size of equipment and eliminating noise from substandard wiring and grounding can be of benefit in allowing utilities to improve the quality of power their system delivers. Well, that about wraps up this edition of the PowerTech Podcast. If you haven't yet, please log in to wherever you've subscribed to the podcast and both rate this show and leave a comment, as that really helps new subscribers in the power industry to find us. Also, for more free insights on bringing technology to the power industry, make sure to visit Empirical.com. We post free white papers, articles, and all of our previous podcasts there. Plus, you can register for a free 3D strategy planning session call with one of our 3D planning specialists. Again, you can do all of that and much more at Empirical.com. Please stay tuned and join us for the next episode of the PowerTech Podcast. And until next time, keep engineering powerful solutions.